We're recording. I will hit the music. Game even more. Oh. Hold on. <laughs> I'm just going to leave all this in the podcast. <laughs> that works. <laughs> anyway, folks, it's the Golf and Filter podcast. You'll see me playing around with some of the music. I'm trying to learn all this stuff uh, to make the, the intro a little bit fancier, but... That just wouldn't be my style, nor Dan Hauser's style, my co-host today. Dan, good to see you again. <laughs> How's it going? You know, it's going. I'm trying to play with the buttons, and I can't figure Listen, it out. But we, We've never claimed to be polished. We've claimed no. to be golf junkies and golf sickos, but we've never claimed to be uh, polished, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Hollywood types. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, totally. I mean, you would think after 400-something of these, I'd have figured something out, but whatever. You know, it is what it is. Uh, what this is, is the Golf and Filter podcast. That's my co-host, Dan Hauser. He's over at Golf and Filtered, of course. You can read all of his work, which we're going to talk about today here in a little while. But before we do, just want to remind everyone that we are uh, powered by Bridgestone Golf, hence the hat, hence the uh, little chevron down there on the bottom. Uh, we're also partnering with our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club and Sharp Focus Nutrition, which if you've not heard of them before, go back a few episodes, listen to uh, our episodes with the founder, Brinson Paolini. And uh, he talks a lot about that whole system. And of course, last but not least, our friends over at Mizuno Golf. Dan, I think I've covered them all. You've had an interesting <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was over at the uh, the underrated, well, the the panel discussion for the kickoff event of the underrated golf tour season. So they, they started off the year in uh, West Palm. And so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah it was I one mean, of the... we can, we can kind of just jump into it, but yeah, that's basically where I was at earlier. Yeah. And so for those unaware, the underrated golf tour is, uh, kind of the brainchild by a lot of different people, but primarily Steph Curry from the NBA. Um, the underrated golf tour, uh, had their inaugural season last year. One of the tour stops was at one of our partners, Cog Hill uh, Golf and Country Club last year. That's kind of how I got, uh, became aware of the underrated golf tour. It is now season two. They reached out. They said, hey, anyone going to be around? And lo and behold, of course, you live in Florida and you were able to go make the trip down there, like you said. Um, and so you started things off with or I should say they started things off, which you attended a panel discussion that featured some pretty big names, right? Yeah. So like you mentioned, so they, they reached out, you know, of course you shared it with Nikki and I and said, Hey, you know, I got this and I'm scrolling through and I'm like, Oh, West Palm beach. That's not too far from me. I could, I could make that happen. And so, you know, the rest is history, but yeah, so their event. So uh, on that Sunday, they had their practice round at the park in West Palm Beach, and we'll talk more about that uh, in a minute as we go on about who I had the chance to speak with and everything. And then Monday and Tuesday were the tournament rounds. So on Monday evening, they held a panel discussion at the I, – I've been jokingly calling it the team hotel because I don't know what other way to describe it. But the hotel where all the golfers and, and support staff and everyone involved in the tournament was staying at, and they held a panel discussion. And on that panel discussion was – among other names, Gary Williams, formerly uh, of the Golf Channel now of five clubs. Mm -hmm. uh, Seth Waugh, CEO of the PGA of America. And Gil Hans, the world-renowned uh, golf course architect. Yeah, a pretty, so, so that was pretty stacked cool. panel. Yeah, yeah and the interesting so. thing about Gil was, and you know this, he actually wasn't on the list of panelists that we had received. So mm. um, after I talked to him, I found out that basically he uh, was in town for a board meeting for – 
involving with their, what he's what his partner his work with the PGA of America in the park, and they knew he knew it coincided with this event, but he didn't really know a ton about it. And so, you know, he's like, let me just kind of check out these these kids and watch them play. And, you know, they were at dinner and they said, hey, do you want to just kind of stick around and, you know, sit on this panel discussion? So that was a that was a very cool but pleasant surprise because it was awesome to have the guy who designed the golf course that these kids were playing at uh, talk to them. Yeah, well, and and maybe let's start with uh, with Seth and, and Gil's interview first, because you did have the opportunity to sit down with them both. Now, were they. Were you sitting with, was it the three of you sitting down or was it kind of individual at first? So I, my thought process and plan behind it was I was going to do all three of them. But so what happened was as soon as the panel discussion was over, um, they kind of, they kind of hung around and the kids came up to them and kind of talked to them a little bit one-on-one. And so that was really cool too. Cause you had some kids hanging around talking with Seth. You had some kids hanging around talking with Gil. You had some kids hanging around talking with, uh, Gary Williams. So the way it just ended up working out is that, um, Seth's line, I guess you could say, uh, emptied out before Gills did. So Seth okay. came and sat and talked with me first. And then towards the end of my time talking with Seth, Gill kind of sat down too. And then, you know, we, we, we kind of moved over to that transition. Um, there were some questions that I asked him that were kind of similar in nature, but yeah, it ended up ultimately being uh, two one-on-ones. So of course, Seth Waugh is the uh, CEO of the PJ of America. And he's got a pretty big interest in any young talent that's coming up through golf. Uh, what were some of the topics that you guys covered, which, by the way, not to spoil anything, that you can go to golfandfiltered.com and you can check out Dan's uh, full transcript there. But what were some of the things that you guys covered? Yeah, so, of course, I mean, I started off, obviously, we were all there for the underrated golf tour. So, you know, I first off, it was just kind of how the PG of America got involved with that partnership with the underrated golf tour. And he kind of shared um, – you know, with, through his relationship with Steph Curry and everything and just kind of how they got involved uh, with that. And then obviously the park being the first uh, court, uh, host course came about because uh, they were very much involved with that along with Gil Hans and the city mm-hmm. of West Palm Beach and, you know, some private investors in order to get that course uh, built and open because it used to be an old municipal course way back in the day. In fact, I, it was really cool to me because I was kind of able to share both of, with both of them that I, I played that course a ton mm. growing up. Um, and it was unfortunate when it shut down because there's been so many, I'm sure in the same is the same is up in your area, but down here, there's been so many public and municipal courses over the years that have shut down and become condos, mm-hmm. office buildings, retail shops. In fact, the one in West Palm Beach that I grew up playing on that I was taught the game on uh, today is some condos and a Best Buy. So, Mm. (laughs) um, so naturally when that one closed down, I just assumed that that was going to ultimately be the fate of that one too. But, uh, so we talk a little bit about that and I get into it way more with Gil as well about how that golf course came to be, uh, where they, they got some private investors and basically Seth said, I want Gil involved. And Gil said, well, Seth is coming and asking you for something. You, you do it, you know? So we, we started off kind of discussing about that. Uh, we talked about, um, you know, the, the state, the current state of both men's and women's and professional golf, obviously, you know, yeah. we talked about live without actually specifically talking about live, if that makes sense. Like I never actually sure. specifically said any, asked them specific questions about live, but I, you know, you can't talk about the current landscape of golf for the last couple of years and not, you know, at least them get it, be involved in the conversation at least somewhat. So obviously we talked about how, you know, the professional game, we talked about the great story that was Michael Block during the week and how, you know, they basically couldn't have written a movie script for themselves any better than how that played out. Yeah. Um, He shared, and you guys can read it in the article, but he shared with me a cool story about how on Saturday he actually was hanging out over by 15 uh, 
Um, and he saw a really cool moment with Michael Block and Justin Rose because that's who Michael Block played with on that Saturday round. So we talked a little bit about that, and he shared that story. Uh, he also shared some really great information about the women's game and the women's PGA mm. and how KPMG has signed on for some more years to be a title sponsor of that event and how when he first came on, a lot of other sponsors were basically spon- putting their names on the women's PGA as kind of a favor to the PGA of America and to KPMG. And now it's the other way around. Basically these sponsors are saying we only, we want to be involved if KPMG is still involved. So that's really cool. He's talking about how, uh, you know, the women's, uh, the KPMG PGA, you know, the, the, mm-hmm, the purse mm-hmm. just in his time there has gone from 3 million to 10 million and how golf, right. just like every other women's sport that we've seen now is whether it's WNBA or women's college basketball or women's softball, you know, those numbers are starting to take up and more people or take off. More people are starting to, to tune in and that's obviously helping them. Uh, another interesting thing we talked a little bit about is cause they had kind of brought it up in the panel discussion was top golf places like top golf and mm-hmm. uh, drive shack. And I straight up asked them, I said, do you view these places as, an asset to you guys as a hindrance to you guys, you know, how would and he said, he said, we're, we view them as a partner and an asset. And nobody said that golf has to be something where you go step on grass and play 18 holes. Any right. involving swimming, swinging a club is, uh, is playing golf. And he, he had a really cool analogy that I'll share now. He basically said, if you and I were to go out tomorrow and play a game of horse, we played basketball. Did we play mm-hmm. five on five and it should no, but we still played basketball. So and so that's really cool. And, you know, now there's some PGA professionals that work alongside Top Golf, so they can actually basically help teach the game in a way that now they're seeing larger numbers of people that will go try out Top Golf and then end up going and playing, you know, on, as he calls it, green grass, you know, actually going to a course right. and, and moving alongside. So that was really cool that we talked about that. And he kind of shared some of those stories. And um, yeah, I mean, we were all over the place. I guess. I could keep going. I could have listened to him speak for hours. Obviously, yeah. it was a long day for everyone. I didn't want to keep everyone too long, but it was a great. You know, we we kind of bounced all over the place, so it was it was a really cool. Yeah, even reading with through, too. Yeah, well, and even reading through your transcripts, you guys covered a lot, you know. And I think, you know, one of the questions I had, what was your sense in speaking to both of them, you know, Seth and Gill, as far as, you know, the underrated golf tour? It's the context of a changing landscape in golf. I mean, the entire mission of underrated is to get kids who wouldn't normally have these opportunities to play in these types of events to do that. Uh, what was your sense talking to both of them about not only their support for, for that movement, but also, you know, the excitement for the future. Yeah, that was addressed too in the panel discussion. And then naturally, you know, I brought it up after the fact and we had a pretty, pretty fun little discussion about it, but basically, you know, and you can attest to this too, because we're kind of in that same age demographic. When we were kids growing up and we were going to golf courses, it was all like old people on the driving yeah, range right. on the course. Like we were the kids and then it was like people our parents age or even older. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but now I go on, a, I go to a golf course or go to a driving range. I'm the one that feels like the old person now oh, because yeah. every it's just lined with kids. And it's yeah. not just, it's like young kids, like nine, 10, mm-hmm. 11 years old. They can't even drive there on their own. They're there with their parents or their coaches and they're just striping this, the, the ball, you know? Oh, yeah. And so we, we definitely talked a lot about that, about, they said it too, you know, when they were, you know, it, it, when they were coming up, it was, it, golf was an old man's sport basically. And now right. it's, and it, and they attributed a lot of it, I think to COVID as well, because golf was one of the one things, one of the few things you could get outside and do during COVID. So I think that mm-hmm. they'll even admit that that kind of helped helped both of them from the standpoint of the PGA of America getting involvement, you know, and Gil mentioned that 
COVID wasn't very good to many people, but it was really good at the game and golf and golf course design. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just, and now it's like the cool thing. And they were talking about it too. And, you know, you and I are big baseball fans as well. And I think that even uh, we can admit that baseball is becoming a dying sport. When we were kids, baseball mm-hmm. was super fun and cool. And now it's, you know, dying, not literally dying off, but the, the age demographic of baseball fans is starting to get older and older. Whereas yes. the demographic for golf now is getting younger and younger because it's becoming the cool, hot thing to do. And that is, de- and so the underrated golf tour obviously is one way that that is kind of showing it. Obviously, participation levels amongst younger people uh, is yeah. another way that we're seeing that that kind of transition to it become a younger person's sport. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but just because it, it recently happened the other night, stuff those events like the match, kids are watching right. that. Those to them, those are yeah. fun. I mean, to you and I, we might be like, okay, well, you know, cool if we wanted to go see uh, non-professional golfers hack away on a golf course, we'd just go down to the local community. But even then, I right. mean, it, I, I tuned in for a few minutes. It was still just a cool thing to see because it was non-professional golfers playing golf. So, and I think yeah. the, you know, kids are really kind of latching onto that as well too. And, you know, Seth said any way that you can get interest in golf, there's no wrong way to expand the interest level in golf. It's just, as long as people are, it's transitioning to people playing the game. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And, uh, you know, even the um, example of things like the match and and uh, other events or, or what have you like that, it almost seems like there's this bigger shift that you illustrated pretty well right there, you know, where we are kind of becoming the older men or older people at the golf course, which is fine. And, you know, I think, um, well, certainly COVID with the, the COVID boom and then the game and all that, that's going to be felt for hopefully a long time. That's going to help the game in many different ways. You know, it's really interesting when you have tours like this that are that are starting out, again, started by one of the participants in the match, Steph Curry, you know, a huge golf fan, hell of a golfer himself. And it's it's great, at least in my opinion, and I'd love to get yours that we're seeing these lines blurring from one sport to the next, you know, the involvement in it. And it's almost, it's adding, at least in my mind, and I don't know if you agree or not, it's, it's adding in my mind, this level or this layer of enjoyment to the game that it kind of transcends. Oh, these are the pros doing it. We're just the amateurs over here, but no, it's like, we're all kind of on the same plane. I mean, do you kind of see it that way too? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And I think that um, that was some of the things that they touched on, too, that I got the sense of is that when this COVID boom happened, I think a lot of people just assume that, OK, well, people are playing now because it's COVID and they have nothing else to do. And mm-hmm. once that ends and everything kind of reopens up and everyone can go back to what they were doing, like a lot, no one's going to keep kind of playing golf. And to their I got the feeling it was to their pleasant surprise that not only have the numbers not gone down, but they've continued to keep going up. Right. And so, yeah, I, I would be naive to say that things like the match and, and things like the Steph Curry's and the Tony Romo's and, and these professional athletes who are not professional golfers who are now playing golf and making it seem cool to play golf. That's it. It, it can't not be hap- helping if that makes sense. Like it absolutely oh, yeah. is helping because, um, not only are these not only are these uh, professional athletes, but these particular professional athletes that seem to really be embracing the game, the Steph Curry's, they're also big on social media. And mm-hmm. what are kids today big into? Social media. So when you've got right. Steph Curry 
and Travis Kelsey hanging out on the golf course, whether it's in the match or on their own and they're, and they're posting videos from the course or a Tahoe and they're posting videos. Kids are seeing that they might, right. even if they're not actually watching the, the TV product, they're seeing the videos on TikTok or on Twitter or on Instagram. And they're saying, this looks really cool. I want to go try this out now. So yeah, it's, it, it would be hard to argue against saying that that those types of things are absolutely helping, especially with these younger generation, kind of getting them into opening their eyes to golf and, and letting them see that it's not this stuffy old man's game that it's been perceived to be for, you know, generations. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good call out too. And, you know, even wrapped in all of this is the fact that there's some pretty darn good golfers that are coming out of these tours, one of whom that you actually had the chance to speak with, uh, Lucky Cruz, who I know, and if he's probably listening to this, hi, <laughs> Lucky, I know he's a, he's a fan of you and we're a fan of yours. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, your experience meeting that young man. Yeah, I mean, 15-year-old, um, he's already committed to the University of Houston, which, I mean, that's just, <laughs> wow. that's impressive amongst itself. I know you and I were yeah. talking about that, like, wow, already. Um, yeah. You know, it's no secret. I don't know how much the listeners know, but you obviously know in, in a previous life, I, I covered the tour pretty, pretty regularly. I, I was at a lo- pretty much every tour stop in Florida. So I, I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of PGA Tour pros. When I say mm-hmm. that this kid came off as more polished and, and gave me more insight into his world and his life than even some of these tour pros have. I just, it was just, wow. I don't want to say, cause I don't want to, to discount him at all, but you know, when, when you're, when the ideas presented me saying, Hey, would you like to talk to one of the golfers? I'm thinking, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I'll talk to him, but it's a 13, 14, 15 year old kid. What can, you know, how much are they going right. to be able to really tell me or what are they really going to be able to say? And um, he blew me away with, with everything. And I know that, you had a chance to read over his trans the transcript as well. Um, yep. His story is, is truly a fascinating one. Uh, and his story is one that, that just goes to show you the importance of the underrated golf tour, because he even said himself, he doesn't get an opportunity back home in Texas to play in as many of these junior events as he might like. Uh, mm-hmm. But the underrated golf tour allows him, you know, essentially six guaranteed tournaments a year now. Um, and this is the second year playing on it for him to continue to get out there and play competitively and to hone his craft and to, you know, hopefully as he says, go on to become a tour pro and be successful as a professional golfer. I, uh, in reading your transcript, I have never felt more old than (laughs) that question. When you asked, how did he get into the game? Maybe talk a little bit about what lucky told you. So obviously I didn't include this part in the, when I was writing at the transcript, but if you actually listen to the raw audio, when he tells me that I start laughing and I'm like, I've never, and I, I turned to Madeline, who was the one who said everything up for us. I said, I've never felt so old in my life, but then I did tell him this story. So I asked him what got him into golf. And he said, his dad bought him Tiger Woods, 2K13. <laughs> two K 13 2013. I'd already been out of college for, I don't even want to tell you how many years because then I'm just yeah. even dating myself even more. But same. so he's saying he got into golf because of Tiger 22 K 13. And I'm thinking to myself, Okay, well, I had been watching golf previously, but what got me really into it was Tiger winning the Masters in 97. Right. And the, yeah. I, he wasn't even born yet, obviously. So, of course, I'm just I, – I, I'm laughing. I'm laughing yeah. when he says 2013, and I'm trying not to laugh because I'm, I'm, I don't want him to feel bad, but I'm just thinking to myself. But then also – and I, I didn't put this in a transcript, but I, I did make the, 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 the point to him at least that that just goes to show you how – the, the multi-generational golfer and the inspiration mm-hmm. that Tiger Woods is because for people like you and I, it was the 97 masters 
for people of this new Gen Z generation, it was that video game on the Xbox or the PlayStation or the Wii or whatever, whatever console you had. So, but that just goes to show you, I mean, you've got a kid who's 15 who was inspired by Tiger Woods. And then you've got us who are in our thirties and even forties that are, were inspired by Tiger Woods, you know, granted it was a 97, but still, you know, and so you think about that age difference, but at the end of the day, the commonality was Tiger Woods. And then another, he is also a big fan of Rory who, yes, he is younger, but I also still feel like, you know, Rory, is it's crazy to think about, but Rory actually is kind of an, an old an old golfer he, now. Like he's he's an old dude. Yeah, yeah. He, he was yeah. he was that next generation of kids that came in after Tiger, but now he's been around for so long. He's kind of the old man on tour compared to the Jordan Spieths and the Justin Thomases and the Scotty Schefflers of the world. Yeah, and even they're getting and even they're getting old now too, which is just mm-hmm. also mind blowing to me that they're all now <laughs> having kids, and it's just like, wait a minute, what? The the, the the spring break crew is now all settling down with kids. Like, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. we need to pump the brakes here for a minute. Yeah, I, that blew me away. His his response to that question because it just uh, first of all, obviously because of the old thing, but also um, it just goes to show kind of like what we were talking about previously with social media and all these different avenues that golfers can come into the game. If you think of the game as like this big funnel. And for us, it was, you know, going to golf courses, watching Tiger on television. And now it's video games, social media, basically everywhere that you could look that's getting more and more players, at least mildly interested in the game. And then from there, it's almost like, all right, well, if they catch on, if they enjoy it, if they get decent at it, they'll probably stick with it for long term and certainly Lucky Cruz is just another example of well, somebody who's very good. Yeah, and, and that's what he said, too. His, his dad got him the game, and that's how he started. And then he would mimic the swing with his little, as he called him, Charlie Brown golf clubs. And then yep. his dad noticed that and was like, well, wait a minute. You, it looks like your swing actually looks pretty good. Let's get you out onto a real golf course. And then, you know, next thing you know, he's, he's 10, 11 years old playing in, in starting to play in some of these, these you know, tournaments and whatnot. I'm just like, wow, you know. Yeah, what he should would he tie tied for fifteenth? Is that how he finished? Uh, he I, he did tie for fifteenth in that in that first event. So not yeah. you know let's listen and and he uh, pretty darn good still. He, he can hit the ball. We'll put it that way. Yeah, well <laughs> I, he can he golf doesn't know his this. ball around the course. <laughs> he can golf his ball. Yeah, he, he he doesn't know this, but when he was at a when they were out in Chicago, I I saw him uh, hit a few, and yeah, I mean I was impressed and also felt worse for myself. But <laughs> at any rate, um. What was one of your big takeaways? Uh, I'm sure you had many, but if you had to say, you know, the highlight for you going to the event, talking to these folks, seeing what was happening and knowing that this is the second year of this, what was one of the highlights that you take uh, from that? So for me, um, before Lucky and I sat down, he actually took me on a tour of kind of their setup in the hotel. And it was really cool because so they had kind of a ballroom upstairs that was like the players lounge and they had couches and video games and drinks and a little workout area. And then downstairs, they had like a full dinner spread, but dinner spread. But I think what would stood out to me the most is that and, I, and unfortunately, well, fortunately or fortunately, it's kind of double sided these days in juniors level of all sports, not just golf. But you look at AAU and basketball is basically like NBA junior and right. You know, baseball at, at the at the little league level, they basically are, are making it feel like it's major league baseball as far as the way they want these kids in that mind frame. Even AJGA and other junior events, you know, they basically make it feel like you're in a tour event. Uh, and he touched on too. He said some of these some of these juniors or some of these am- juniors events are a little as he called it stuffy, which you know they just mm. they're very you're there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to 
you know, basically beat the brains out of every one of your other competitors. And so he said, the, and, I, and I, I took this away from her too, at the underrated golf tour, yeah, everyone is ultimately there to win and they want to play really well. And you still get those nerves on the first tee box. But these kids had all been playing against each other in a competitive round of golf all day on Monday. And then you go, you, I'm walking around the hotel and you've got a group of kids upstairs playing video games together. You've got another group sitting together having dinner. You've got another group kind of hanging out on the patio area over by the pool just sitting around talking. And it's like, yeah, a couple hours early were they all out there to like try to beat each other? Sure, but now they're off the course and now they're there to hang out and relax and have fun and chat and just kind of be kids. And, you know, right. he even said, he goes, yeah, at the end of the day, we all want to win, but we're all also out there cheering for each other. And in, in this day and age with how sports have gotten so competitive from such a young age, it's kind of refreshing to know that, okay, these kids are just out there being kids. Like, yeah, they want to win, yeah. but they're still being 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kids and hanging out afterwards and playing video games and, you know, having dinner and just, you know, hanging out. So that, that I yeah. think to me was the coolest part of the whole thing. That's awesome. And I, I was wondering about that because you said it perfectly. You know, these kids still got to be kids. And, you know, it's it's crazy that, you know, I had I had heard certainly in the other sports that you mentioned about, you know, and I've seen it firsthand with my you know nieces or nephews and, and friends, kids. It's so competitive. I mean, we always hear about like the like the dance moms or like the gymnast that, you know, dads or whatever, hell, even like hockey, peewee hockey is, is hardcore too. And it's, it's literally like that. Like you almost wonder if the parents are, you know, really the ones that are like trying to live vicariously through their kids to a degree, because they're the ones that like create much of the drama. I mean, did you get a sense where there a lot of parents there and did you get a sense at all that there was that level of competitiveness? So from what I could tell, it seemed like most of the the golfers, their parents were there with them or some sort of some sort of adult representative was with them. Um, yeah, probably. I didn't agent. get that sense at all. I didn't. <laughs> not age, no. I didn't get a sense at all, though, because they were all all the, the panel discussion was for the kids. And, and there were the parents and other adults in there, too. And, you know, afterwards, the adults were also going up to the, the panelists and thanking them for for everything they'd done. So it was it wasn't a. Oh, well, my kid didn't, you know, it was more of a thank you for speaking to my kid. Thank you for taking an interest in my child. Thank you for everything you do. So it seemed to me like the parents were just as, if not more grateful than the kids themselves for the uh, tour itself and everything that they, uh, you know, pr provide for the, for these kids. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, everything I've heard and I know that, that you've seen now and spoken to people about the underrated golf tour is, is absolutely uh, we throw this phrase around a lot. You and I make fun of it a lot, but they are growing the game. Like they are literally doing things for the betterment of the game and for future generations. And so it's nice. Uh, I, I'm excited that you had the opportunity to go to talk to them. And uh, that was the first event for season two. There's going to be five more events this year. The next one's going to be in Akron, Ohio, which is going to be uh, an amazing course, I'm sure, for those kids as well. So any uh, any parting thoughts on your experience? Yeah, uh, I didn't know anything about this tour until you sent me that email and at the time i was like do i really want to even like go out there and check it out and uh, i'm really glad i made the decision to to go check them out and see what it was all about because it was a really awesome experience and it it um you know we've talked about over these last in these last couple episodes kind of how our enjoyment of golf has been mm -hmm. kind of waning with everything going on with live and pga tour and this kind of reminded me like we talk about that professional golf is such a small portion of what the overall game of golf is and this kind of reminded me of that and it kind of rejuvenated that passion that i've always had for for the game of golf seeing these kids out there 
and they, these kids couldn't have cared, couldn't care less what's going on between Liv and the PGA Tour or what's going on. And, you know, they, they're just out there having fun and wanting to play golf. So uh, that was really awesome. It was really refreshing to see. And then, of course, you know, Seth and Gil taking the time to sit with me after the long days they had uh, was was it was a true honor as well. Like I said, I, I could have sat there and talked to them for hours on end or uh, not talk to them, let them just speak for hours on end. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, uh, you know, so it was it was a. It, it was a it was a truly amazing experience, and I'm so happy that Underrated invited uh, us, you know, GU out there, and that I, I took them up on that offer. That's awesome. And and once again, listeners, you can go out to golfandfilter.com. Both transcripts from both interviews are uh, live right now with Lucky Cruz as well as Seth Waugh and Gil uh, Hans or Hans. So uh, that's Dan Hauser. Follow him at Dan Hauser Golf on Twitter and social media. You can follow me at Adam J. Fonseca. And then, of course, you could follow all of us at Golf Unfiltered at Golf Unfiltered. Dan, always nice to catch up. You have a good holiday. I'm going to try to do the same. Don't blow off. Don't blow any pieces of yourself off. With, yeah, with, uh, everyone fireworks. stay safe out there. Limbs <laughs> intact today. Limbs, limbs right. intact, please. <laughs> we'll talk again soon, buddy. All right. See you guys.